Hello, my name is Isaac Keith Martinez, and welcome to Isaac's Haunted Beard. Today, we are going to talk about my top 10 favorite movies from the year 2003. Yep, we continue my series of top 10 list of favorite movies of the aughts, the 2000s. I've been having fun with these episodes. I've been having fun doing the research because before I, I mean, it's not like I remember every movie <laughs> that comes out in any random year. Some of them I kind of do, actually. Most of them I don't. I have to go on the internets and I have to look up all the movies that came out that year. And I got to write a list of every movie from that year that I liked. And that list is longer than 10 titles. And I have to choose which 10 are my favorites. Now, for the most part, it's kind of easy to separate the 10 best from the rest. But not 100%. I mean, there's a couple of times where there's a bit of a struggle. So, I mean, I don't know why you would. <laughs> but if for any reason you'd be inspired to check out, you know, what else came out in any, in any one of these years, uh, I recommend looking it up on the internet and, and just, just kind of revisit a year in your life with movies. What movies did you see in the theater or what movies did you discover on DVD or on television? Uh, do you have memories attached to those movies? Did you see them with a friend or did you see them by yourself or did you see them with family? You know, sometimes when I see these titles, memories come back. I have memories attached to movies and I bet a lot of you do as well, which is a part of why movies are so special to me because not only are they entertaining, and they are inspiring, but they also are attached to some pretty wonderful memories to me. You know, that's, that's one of my favorite things about movies. Um, right. I mean, that's, that's pretty much something that I think a lot of our favorite things have in common is that they're attached to special memories. You know, you probably have the same experience with music or maybe sporting events or television or just <laughs> a bunch of different stuff. But the topic of conversation today is movies. John Paul Vries told me that he's been enjoying these episodes in particular because it's reminding him of movies that he hasn't thought about in a while. And I thank you, John Paul, for listening. And I thank all of you for listening. And I hope it's doing the same thing for you, as well as maybe even inspiring uh, some of you to seek out movies that you may not have seen yet. Cause I feel like something that a lot of these lists have in common is that they don't include obscure titles, maybe slightly here and there, but for the most part, I've noticed that I've been putting some pretty famous movies, which might suggest to people that that's all I watch, but that's not true. But I'm not going to put on, put a movie on the list just because I think it's going to get me some sort of like street cred points. <laughs> Ooh, he's so cool because he likes these 
you know, obscure movies that no one's heard of. No, a lot of the times, uh, like, it doesn't matter to me. A lot of the times, the best movies that I see from any given year could be movies that are, are very popular. And I've noticed that with a lot of these episodes that, that these movies have, in fact, <laughs> what I was going to say is that these movies um, are, are well-known films. In fact, so well-known that I, I feel a little silly sometimes, like, telling you the plots to some of these movies because I feel like you're just listening at home going, duh, <laughs> I know what that movie's about. So much so that I am going to skip some of the plots for some of the movies that made this list. Not all of them, just some of them. Because it feels a little duh, you know? I don't want to insult you. But, yeah, I'm still going to talk about some plots for some of these movies. Yeah. Now, as I've mentioned before, the hardest part about making a list is committing to that list. Because once you publish that episode, you feel bound to that list as though people will point to that list and say, how dare you? <laughs> how dare you not include this movie or put this movie ahead of this other movie? And I might agree with you. I might agree with those people. But this is just a, a fun thing that I do. And it's just going by gut instinct of how I felt at the time. And I give myself permission to change my mind later. But as of this recording, and as of this uh, published episode, this is how I felt at the time. And really, it's just for funsies, right? It's just to have a little a little talkity-talkity conversation about movies, right? Any excuse to talk about movies with my friends. Have I babbled long enough for you? Would you like me to babble longer, or would you like me to just hurry up and get to the list already? Let's get to the list already. These are my top 10 favorite films from the year 2003. Coming in at number 10, City of God. Right off the bat, I want to acknowledge that this is a great film. In fact, this film is so great, I feel guilty placing it at number 10. This is the kind of film that should be much higher on the list. And if I was a more respectable uh, <laughs> film critic or film journalist. I'm none of those things. I'm just some guy. I'm just some guy you know from the internets. <laughs> I'm just your movie friend sharing his opinion. I'm not paid to do this. I'm just doing this for funsies. But if I was a paid professional and if I was some highfalutin guy, this is the kind of movie that would be potentially number one. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue with that guy because it's really, really good. Have you seen City of God? This is an epic film about crime in the slums of Rio de Janeiro. Although it does have a main character, it tells the stories of multiple criminals and gangs and how their stories cross over, starting in the 60s, going into the 70s, and ending in the 80s. This is a really violent film, so it's difficult for me to recommend this movie for everyone because... I can't assume everyone is like me. Like, I, I understand 
that many of you may be sensitive to violence. And if you are, then, then maybe you should avoid this. It is a great film. It's a great story. Um, and it doesn't feel like, like a Hollywood action movie. Um, it, it feels more like an art film and it feels more realistic. So the violence feels more, um, potent, you know, like, like it really gets you and it is violent and it is about crime that, that takes place on the streets over the course of decades. And you see a lot of it and it's graphic and it's, it could be a rough watch for you, but if you feel that you can stomach that, or if that even appeals to you, maybe you're just like, I'm all for it. Sign me up. Then this is the movie for you. Um, many crime films and gangster films I've noticed show criminals in a more glamorous light, or at least in like the first half of the movie. Cause I mean, typically in these gangster movies, they get theirs in the end, but usually they show them rise in power and reap the benefits of, of that rise by, um, getting a lot of money and living in a mansion and really glamorizing, you know, the criminal lifestyle. But with this film, it's not like that. It's truly the entire movie is taking place in the slums and it does reach a fever pitch in the final act of the film where it gets to the point where these gangs just go to war with each other in the slums. And, and as a viewer, you look at it and you're like, what are you fighting for? Like for starters, there's no reason that could justify this much violence, but the fact that they're just going all out war over nothing, you know, you're just like, oh, what are you fighting for the slums? Like, what do you get out of this? You get to rule the slums. You get nothing out of this. It just seems crazy, but it is, it is a fascinating movie. This film is in Portuguese. So you will be reading subtitles for the running time of 130 minutes. Yes. 130 minutes. That's an epic folks that qualifies as an epic. Well, if that sounds like your kind of movie, or maybe you've already seen it, check out city of God. All right. Now, why would I pick movies that are in the opinions of smarter <laughs> movie people than me would say that, uh, the movies that I'm picking that are higher on my list aren't as good as city of God. That's not true. It's it's the list is meant to be movies. It reflects movies that I've watched more. And a lot of the times, I tend to revisit movies that are uh, just just fun to me. So that's that's why the rest of this list isn't as maybe prestigious is the right word as something like City of God. In fact, coming in at number nine <laughs> is Willard. And you're going to be like, how dare you say that, suggest that Willard's not prestigious. Hey, it's prestigious to me too. That's why I put it at number nine. Crispin Glover plays Willard a social misfit who is mistreated and verbally abused by his ill mother, who he takes care of and his boss at work. Willard befriends a rat, which leads to Willard befriending a colony of rats, which leads <laughs> to Willard training the rats to do his bidding. Although it's not quite a horror film, it's kind of a horror film. It's one of those movies where you like, you look at it and you're like, okay, it's not really a horror film, but it's definitely a movie that's like, 
embraced by the horror movie community, you know, which I kind of consider myself a part of. And I, I definitely say this is one of our, our movies. Now it's kind of a remake of the 1971 film, as well as a new adaptation of the 1968 novel, rat man's notebooks by Steven Gilbert, a book that I've never read. Uh, I have this on DVD and on the DVD, it comes with a music video for the song Ben. And I'm guessing the Blu-ray does as well. I can't say for certain because I don't have it on Blu-ray, but I bet it does. And even if it doesn't, I bet it's on YouTube. And Ben is a song that was originally written and recorded by Michael Jackson. And it was in the original film, um, the one in the 70s. And, and it's a great song, but... The video isn't the Michael Jackson version. It's a cover of the song Ben by Crispin Glover, which in and of itself is pretty neat, <laughs> but it's a really, really trippy video and it's really weird and I love it. That alone is worth the price of admission. So yes, number nine is Willard. Coming in at number eight, Final Destination 2. This is my favorite sequel in the Final Destination franchise. Okay, now this is what I was talking about. I'm not going to spend time explaining to you what Final Destination 2 is, because I know that you know this franchise. Now, I'm also not going to lead you to believe, or I don't want you to think that when I do more episodes of these top 10 lists, that every time a new Final Destination sequel comes out, it's going to make the list. This is where I'm drawing the line of Final Destination movies, just part one and part two. These are my favorites of the franchise. And for the record, I actually really remember liking the last, the very last one, but I really like Final Destination 2. And the reason is because the kills are very creative. And that's the kind of thing a sicko like me says, talking about earlier about being sensitive to violence. Well, if you like horror movies, <laughs> you're probably not sensitive to violence. It doesn't mean that we're not sensitive people. We just view things through the eyes of, um, I mean, I don't mean to speak for you, but I bet a lot of you have this in common that we don't necessarily feel, um, sensitive to the idea that people are actually dying on screen as where we, we view it as special effects and we view it as acting and we view it as make pretend. And, well, I appreciate the creativity involved with these elaborate stunts and ways that the writers had to think up of how to kill these people. You know, there's no other way to say it. Kill these people. And I think that for my money, Final Destination 2 does it pretty darn good. So I love Final Destination 2, and that's why it made the list at number eight. Let's move on, shall we? Coming in at number seven old school. Mitch moves out when he discovers that his girlfriend is unfaithful to him. He moves into a house on a college campus, but soon finds out that he can't live there because that house is exclusive for campus housing. Mitch's friend proposes that he starts a fraternity that is open to anyone so he can meet campus housing criteria. I feel like you know this movie. This is kind of a raunchy comedy starring Luke Wilson, Will Ferrell, and Vince Vaughn, and that's why I like it, because it's sometimes you just want to watch a dirty comedy. 
Now, I'm not the kind of person that likes dirty just for the sake of being dirty. I still feel like I want my comedy in good hands. And the people that I just mentioned, Will Ferrell and Vince Vaughn and Luke Wilson, I, I think those are talented comic actors. I think they're very funny. And Todd Phillips directed this movie. And one of the things I really like about the way he directs this movie is, and I hope you understand what I'm, what I mean by this is he treats this movie like a film. Like there's something kind of artistic in the way he approaches making old school and old school didn't need it to be that way. And maybe you might think it doesn't deserve to be that way. And yet he still treated it that way. And I appreciate that. So although I love how raunchy it is and I love how funny it is, I also find it to be very artistic and cinematic looking. And, um, you know, later in Todd Phillips career, when he started doing movies that weren't comedies, um, I wasn't surprised because I see, I see that in movies like old school, that he had this eye for filmmaking that would lend itself to more dramatic approach to uh, storytelling. And I, and I see examples of that in old school and I really appreciate that. And I don't know if I sound like I'm full of baloney, but I mean, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. So let's move on. Shall we coming in at number six? Big Fish. A son who is convinced his father is a liar and exaggerates the many stories of his wild, interesting life is trying to figure out what is fact and what is fiction as his dad is dying. Most of this movie are the stories of, you know, his father, of his father's life. And we see the many weird, fanciful adventures this man has claimed to have had during his lifetime. This is a Tim Burton film. I love Tim Burton. Uh, I may have mentioned this to you before, but I'm one of those weirdos who likes everything that Tim Burton does. I'll die on that hill. I don't think Tim Burton has made a bad film. I think even his worst movie is a great movie. <laughs> and I don't think it's fair to think that Big Fish should be even in that. I think like, I kind of get it. I kind of get the movies that people hate as like, I understand why people hate those movies. If this movie, Big Fish, is one of is part of that list of movies, I then I'm my mind is blown because I don't understand why anyone wouldn't see this movie as anything less than a masterpiece. And I know that's a very loaded word, but I believe what I just said. I think this is the kind of movie where if you met that one person who's never heard of Tim Burton and you felt that person had it in them to appreciate Tim Burton's aesthetic and creativity, uh, this would be a great introductory film. Now I know that most people would disagree and pick a more famous movie like Beetlejuice, but I would suggest saving something like Beetlejuice until later, you know, like let that person earn the right to see something more beloved like Beetlejuice and start with something that's less beloved, but still, very masterful because I think Big Fish does capture all the personality traits that go along with Tim Burton films. It's a beautiful movie. It's not as dark and gothic as some of his other more popular movies, but uh, there are moments that are like that. And I do kind of appreciate that Big Fish is kind of a more bright and colorful uh, example of Tim Burton's brain. And I think that um, 
there's so many wonderful characters and so many different it's almost like a mixtape of a movie because all these stories of this man's life are um just like a bunch of like little short stories where this man is the character that all the stories have in common and i feel like if it's been a while since you've seen this movie it's worth revisiting i think you might be surprised by how well it has aged and how much you could appreciate it more now than before and i think it definitely deserves to be on this list one of my favorite movies of 2003 one of my favorite tim burton films so let's move on shall we coming in at number five the texas chainsaw massacre obviously it's a remake because this is a list from 2003 and <laughs> this ain't the 70s folks this is the aughts and i am um not one of those people that immediately dismisses any remake of a horror film um i'll at least give it a chance because of this exact reason you never know when something's going to surprise you and not only did this movie surprise me it it really knocked my socks off i love this movie um i love the original and if you force me to choose i'm going to say that i like the original more but i'm not even going to explain why that's a whole other conversation this movie is more as if, if that movie was the raw version of that story this is the more glossy version of that story and the story is even told differently which is fine because that's something that all the chainsaw massacre films have in common is that the legend is altered depending on who the storyteller is that's how i have always kind of understood it so this version of the story is different from the original 70s version of the story but if the storyteller is a different storyteller they may not have the same details of the story that the first person did and yes as a story is being told over the years from storyteller to storyteller sometimes stories grow legends grow so it does make sense that this version would be an even bigger version and this is a more expensive version you know like that was a low budget movie this is a a more um high budget film and it's very beautiful to look at it's a very gorgeous looking horror film i don't need to explain the plot this is one of those things i mentioned earlier i'm not going to talk about the plots to all the movies including this one um if you're a horror movie fan i'm guessing you've seen it and you've already made up your mind about it i do think that this is something that not everyone just immediately hates in fact i'm aware that there are people who prefer this movie to the original because they don't like the low budget raw version of the original chainsaw massacre they do prefer the glossy version of and i i mean i we're all different right i can't say you know they're wrong that's their opinion i would hope that they can appreciate both films like i do but um eh, what are you gonna do if they don't they don't i do and i hope you do because i think both films are special which is the biggest point i'm trying to make is that i think this movie is special i think this is a very very well done horror film and um i think it's worthy of carrying the name which is a very important name and very big shoes to fill 
the name of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Let's move on, shall we? We're still going to stick with horror films, folks, because the number fourth, fourth, <laughs> the fourth film on the list, the number four film on the list is Freddy versus Jason. Um, this is another movie I'm not going to tell you the plot of. <laughs> Imagine being such a famous character in fiction that you can just have a, f- you can just be mentioned by your first name and people immediately know who you're talking about. You don't have to say Freddy Krueger. You don't have to say Jason Voorhees. You don't have to explain that they are from the franchises A Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th. You don't have to because they're so famous and they're so popular that if you just say their first names, Freddy and Jason, people immediately know how they, uh, who, who you're talking about and how they feel about those characters, you know? And, and, and in the eighties, especially these were the two slashers that ruled horror in the box office and in the video stores and on cable. Freddy and Jason were the kings of slasher films. And when this movie came out, it was a dream come true for me because I was a fan of both franchises and it blew my mind that they were combining to make one film. And I, I've heard people complain about the movie. Um, you can't, (laughs) you can't satisfy everybody. I've never agreed with any of the complaints I've ever heard. I always thought they were silly. Um, and I feel like slasher movies are like, like how, how seriously should you take them? You know, I think the movie serves its purpose and that's just to be kind of like, you know, dumb fun, (laughs) but the movie's made in 2003. It's not made in 1983. So it does have a bigger budget than previous installments in the nightmare on Elm street and Friday the 13th. So it is a bit, a a bit more glossy looking. And I like that. I appreciate seeing Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees in a more glossy slasher film with more updated special effects and so forth. I I like this movie. I think it's fun. I think it's funny. I think it's got some cool kills. I've watched it a number of times. I revisit it. Um, So it has great rewatchability to me. So yeah, Freddy versus Jason. What are you going to (laughs) do? Coming in at number three, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. Another movie I'm not going to tell you the plot of. I know you've seen it. First film in the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. Like Tim Burton, I like every movie in the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. A lot of people who like that franchise don't like every movie in it. But those people would at least agree that this first one is the best one. And I would agree with them. And I think Johnny Depp is amazing in it. And I think Jeffrey Rush is amazing in it. And I have rewatched this movie a number of times too. I think that's something that a lot of the movies on my list have in common is they have great rewatchability. And I guess that's all I'm going to say about that. Coming in at number two, House of a Thousand Corpses. It actually kind of kills me that this ain't my number one because I love this movie. It's a Rob Zombie film. It's Rob Zombie's debut feature film. Not going to tell you what it's about. You you already know it's the Firefly clan on Halloween night in 1977, terrorizing people. It's a gift to people who love horror films. I love it. At 89 minutes, it is incredibly paced. It is a wonderful movie. 
I can't say enough good things about it. I feel like to even start to talk about it would be silly. It almost deserves its own, its own podcast episode. And I'm probably not going to do that because this movie has been discussed to death already. But yeah, I'm putting it at number two, which leads to number one. My favorite film of the year 2003 is Kill Bill Volume 1. The Bride swears revenge on an assassin team known as the Deadly Vipers, as their, and, and no, not just the Deadly Vipers, and their leader, Bill, after they try to kill her and her unborn child. Yes, this is Quentin Tarantino's fourth film. I love this movie. I'm not going to tell you much more other than you have no idea. I mean, maybe you do, but I was going to say, you have no idea like how exciting this was when it first came out. It had been seven years since Jackie Brown. We were waiting for a new Quentin Tarantino film. And when it came out, boy, did he deliver. I love this movie. And that are my 10 favorite films from the year 2003. And we're going to do this again next month when I talk about my top 10 favorite films from the year 2004. I hope you had fun. I hope you're forgiving of my lack of plot discussion and just kind of allowed me to fanboy out about these movies. Until the next time we talk about movies, please take care of yourself and each other. Aloha.